We're going to move into our time of teaching today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers on staff here at Oakland Drive. And if you've missed the in recent weeks, we've been in this series that we've called Eeyore, Evidence of Repentance. We've been reviewing the steps that we are taking to show each other and to show the world that we have repented of our former lives and how we are trying to do and to be something different. Now, this word repent, it's a very Christianese word, isn't it? You know, it's one of those that we, we read it in Scripture, we know what it means, but it's not something we're talking in our everyday uh, language. Uh, when, in my research, the word repent is used 34 times in the New Testament, and, and its usage is very, very common. And what I mean by that is that it's consistent. What it means is consistent from one occurrence to the next. And in the New Testament, 12 of those 34 occurrences happen in the last book in your Bible, the Revelation of John. The meaning that we can derive from the original Greek would be something along the lines of from the mind. And the way that we use it in our common cultural understanding is that we would say that this word repent means that we have changed our mind. And as we have come to learn, it actually has a much broader, deeper, and more uh, theological significance throughout its use in the New Testament. In American culture, it means to change your mind, that I used to think that doing this was okay, but now I don't think it's okay anymore. But in its original context, it is an action. It's a command that you do. It doesn't mean that we just think differently about things. It means that we are acting, that we are living differently. And I want to show you what this looks like. If you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page number 1028. The second and third chapters of the Revelation of John, they contain letters to seven different churches that were early on in uh, the church history. And the messages that we find in these chapters, they're a mixture of both encouragements and warnings. And the first one that we're going to look at, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is recorded as saying these words, uh, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Notice here that this word, repent means do these things. It doesn't mean just change your mind, it's taking action because you have changed your mind, a change of heart, if you will. The church at Ephesus was very busy, but without devotion. They were doing a lot of good things, but they weren't doing them for God, and they were told to change or repent. Revelation 2.16 to the church at Pergamum, therefore repent, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. To place this in context, if you look a couple verses earlier, Revelation 2, 14, the people in Pergamum had been warned against false teachers. We read, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Jesus is warning them against succumbing to the whims of a culture that was enticing them to participate in activities that were not of God, that were not useful or beneficial for them, and Jesus warns them to repent or I will come, and by the words of my mouth, I will condemn you. We live in a culture today that tries to sugarcoat God, 
don't you think? I mean, God doesn't really mean what he said, does he? I love the quote, uh, Jordan shared this a couple weeks ago from Brennan Manning, that God made us in his own image, and we have more than returned the compliment. So we craft this image of God where, we're, sure, you know, we make mistakes, you know, but, you know, God helps us up, he dusts us off, you know, he rustles our hair a little bit, oh, you little knucklehead, knock it off, and we just get to go on our merry little way back to the horrible lives we were just living. And you and I get to choose, are we going to believe the warnings that Scripture has for us? Our instruction is to repent, to change. Revelation 2.21. Here we go. Can we go to the next one? This is not working. There we go. Okay. To the church of Thyatira, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Once again, an action. They had fallen in love with culture and given priority to culture over God for their own satisfaction. And Jesus said to them, and he warned them, I am coming. And when I arrive, they will suffer because of their choices. Next, to the church at Sardis, uh, we have these words. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Wake up. It is an action. It's a response. Repentance is not just a mental process of saying, wow, something should change. It is taking action to allow the change to take place. Revelation 3.19, to the church at Laodicea, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Change. It's not mentally saying, I need to be different. It's, I need to act different. I need to choose to be different. So in summary, of these five churches that we've just spoken about, with this command to repent, here's basically what we are being told here. Devote yourselves totally to God first. Trust God's words. Flee immorality and respond with obedience. For those of us who have been taking the 401 class, uh, one of our opening conversations we had was just, we're actually really struck by how little the book of Revelation is ever really talked about in church. I mean, uh, Jordan is strange for many reasons, but in his own little profession, uh, preachers usually steer clear of this book, you know, because the imagery is really tough to, you know, kind of get your, your mind around. So people uh, try to steer clear of this. And I, I heard this summary by uh, Dr. Randy Harris that always st- stuck with me, and it always really, he, he make, summarizes Revelation with, Three points. Number one, God's side wins. Number two, you get to choose which side you're on. And number three, don't be stupid. (laughs) There's certainly a lot more than that to unpack in this book, but let's start with the basics, okay? This is what repent means. We get to choose. We get to respond. And we talked just now about the five churches that were given this command to repent, which means that there's actually two churches that don't have this command in their letter. And I would encourage you this week, in your own personal study time, read Revelations chapters 2 and 3. Read about these churches. They were still suffering and struggling, but they remained faithful and they were loving. But if you think the command to repent 
is unnecessary for us today because we are Christians and we have been saved by faith. That's just not true. And I believe that the Christian teaching about repentance is mocked today. And I think it's because the idea of sin is mocked. Now, as I mentioned, we were on vacation this week, and so we got to see a whole bunch of those lovely souvenir shops. You know the ones that sell the t-shirts? I think they have them every six feet. I don't know how they cram so many of them into one section. But I saw these two shirts. If you don't sin, Jesus died for nothing. And just, hey, go ahead, you know, thumbs up Jesus, I'll forgive you. I hope they make you squirm as much as they did me. I mean, I couldn't get these out of my head. And I was listening to a podcast this week, and the, the host, who is an atheist, was interviewing a, a devout Jewish person, and they're having a really peaceful discussion, but the host just couldn't wrap his mind around this idea, thinking that if, if I want to do something, if I have a desire to do something, if that desire is something that is innate or something that is natural to me, how could you possibly say that it's wrong or that it's a sin that I do this? And the, the Jewish person was just saying, just because you want to do something doesn't mean that's something you should be doing. You know, and it was, he was struggling against just this idea and so this idea of repentance is mocked by culture because it, we've made this a challenge to who we are innately because we have conflated this idea that what we want somehow defines who we are. And so a biblical call to repentance is a challenge. It's a call to become who you're supposed to be. If repentance offends you, Because somebody is telling you that, hey, you're not perfect and you need to change, well, then you're going to have a hard time with Jesus. I heard Max Lucado put it this way, Jesus accepts us as we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. He makes us into what we have always dreamed of becoming, his. Timothy Keller says, people know instinctively that if Christianity is true, then they will lose control and not be able to live any way that they wish. This is why repentance is difficult for us. When it comes to sin, we try to clean it up a little bit first, don't we? You know, before we bring it out in the open, we don't like to say that we've sinned. We like to say we like to call our sins mistakes. That word mistake, it just, doesn't that just sound better than sin? I mean, it's just a lot more pleasant. It's easy to swallow. And I think here's why. Because if someone truly made a mistake then it can't be punished. Now, how many times, you know, growing up, you say to our parents, well, I didn't mean it, okay? Okay, it was an accident. Now, have you ever been hurt by somebody? You know, accidentally, but someone, you know, they open the file cabinet door, or if you have kids, or if you have boys especially, you've stepped on Legos, okay? You know, that, (laughs) you know, okay, so they say, oh, I'm sorry, it was an accident, and that instantly makes all the pain go away, right? Absolutely not. It's great that you're sorry, but I have to go get stitches now, all right? Mistakes. We like the word mistakes. We like to think that if we did something wrong, then we are mistakers. I had an inappropriate relationship. I was wrong. I made a mistake. No, it's a sin. We are not mistakers. We are sinners. In the house I grew up in, and testify along with me if your upbringing was similar to this, I never got to tell my parents no. All right? 
Now, it's tough to translate here, but I would think of this here. You know, my mom, would, we'd be having dinner. She'd say, Paul, would you like some lima beans? And my natural response was, are you crazy, woman? No. All right. And then my dad would thump me on the head, say, don't talk to your mother that way. And so I had to rephrase it. Okay, mother, I'm sorry. I would prefer not to have any lima beans ever, okay? And then she would send me to my room. Mission accomplished. There's no lima beans in my room, all right? But I got in trouble for my attitude with this word, no. So one of my boys, when they tried to tell me no, and now I couldn't imagine growing up, Paul, my dad saying, Paul, go mow the lawn, and I would say no, because that would be my last day on this earth, or at minimum, the last day in his house, because mom and dad didn't play. They were the authority, and you would honor their authority in their home, and I think that's okay. So why do I have so much less of a problem saying no to God? That's not a mistake. That's a choice. God says, don't have that relationship with that person. Well, I will if I want to. God says, don't cheat in business, be honest, be above reproach. Even if it costs you a contract or money, do an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. And we say to God, no, I will do it my way, I'll make more money. And we're constantly telling God no in a way that we would never dream of telling our parents no. And that's the difference between being a mistaker and being a sinner. To clear the air, we're not going to talk today about anybody not outside of this room. I... Paul Funk have always been, by my own choosing, a sinner and not a mistaker. And yes, I have made mistakes, either by accident or by ignorance, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about the moment when God told us, eat those lima beans, and we said what? No. You see, the difference between being a mistaker is that if you're a mistaker, all you have to do is try harder. And I think this is what we've done when it comes to repentance. Yeah, I know I did something wrong, but I'll do better. I'll be a better person starting tomorrow. I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say those things anymore. I'm not going to treat her that way. I'm not going to be that bad person anymore. And that's what a mistaker does. They just try to change their behavior. But sinner, sin is punishable. And you can't fix what is punishable by just trying harder. And we read in Romans, Paul writes, the punishment or the wages of sin is what? Death. This is why the world mocks us. They expect you that you're going to come into church once a week and listen to some guy with a beard yell at you about how horrible you are. All right? But the first step in becoming healthy in the kingdom of God is to admit that you are a sinner, not a mistaker. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you go to God and say, well, I just had a bad day, you're a liar. You deliberately and willfully made bad choices. And that is the difference between a mistake and a sin. You see, if I'm a mistaker, then the solution to my problem is that I get better. But if I'm a sinner, then the only solution to my problem is that I die. According to the scriptures, that is the only solution to sin. But Jesus is the Savior that offers us that solution. But Jesus can only be the Savior to sinners. He is not the Savior for mistakers. And this is the challenge for all of us. 
So this morning, we are being told to understand this command, this imperative from God that demands that we repent. Our answer to this challenge is based on how we answer this question. Is God good? Does he care for us? Does he love us? Or is he the type of God who is looking to sabotage our lives? Is he demanding anything from us that is unreasonable? The answer which one, whichever one of those answers you choose from those two positions, that is going to determine whether or not you are going to repent. Now, is he a loving God? And I think of it this way. When I was, why, why was it that I couldn't tell my parents no? All right, and I think when I was growing up, I know it's purely based out of fear, all right? I didn't want to get whooped. I didn't want to be sent to my room. I didn't want to get any trouble. I wanted to stay in the house. I did not want my parents mad at me. But as I got older, I watched my father working 80 plus hours a week. I watched my mom take care of three boys and run the household, and later she she worked outside the home. I watched all the work and the effort that they put into raising us, and my respect for my parents grew. To this day, even as an adult with three boys of my own to worry about, if my parents ask anything of me, I can't tell them no. It's not because I'm incapable. I choose not to. It all comes down to, if I have a God who cares for me, or do I have a God who sabotages my life and doesn't want me to have any fun? The Webster Dictionary defines this action of repenting as to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. To dedicate yourself. Repentance is not just a matter of believing or choosing that God is right. No, it's that I need to live or die on this belief. Repentance is not simply saying, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. It's saying, I shouldn't have done that and I want to live differently. Because repentance is when belief hits our hands, our feet, and our mouths. It's when a changed heart combines with a changed mind and it produces a changed life. This is what biblical repentance looks like instead of the American version of, I'm sorry I got caught. It's like the anecdote. I, I heard the preacher uh, say this one time. Uh, every week, you know, they had the altar call. They had this time at the end of service. And this, this one uh, congregant would come down every week, and he had his favorite prayer. Lord, please clear the cobwebs out of my life. And then the second week comes down, and he's praying, Lord, please clear the cobwebs out of my life. And then third week, Lord, please clear the cobwebs out of my life. And then he comes down and the preacher's getting fed up with this. And so when he came down the next Sunday, the preacher said, before you even say a word, Lord, please kill the spider. (laughs) Repentance is just cobwebs if all it is is you're feeling sorry. Killing the spider is when you change your behavior. There's a difference between being sorry that I did something and simply stop doing the wrong things to honoring God by choosing God's things over your own. As we started this series, we read about John the Baptist. He was known as the preacher of repentance. People would walk away from here and preach and say, hey, what was John's message about this week for the 59th time in a row? Repent, okay? He never changed his tune. And as we read in Luke chapter 3, when the people came to him, their question was simple, what should we do? And you notice John's response in verse 10. Whoever has two tunics, share with him who has none. Whoever has food, do likewise. 
to tax collectors, collect nothing more than what you are authorized to do. Soldiers, don't extort money from anyone or by threats or by false accusations. Be content with your own wages. Notice John doesn't say, go home and feel bad. Just pray a little prayer. He says, live your life differently because your conviction and your love for God will no longer allow you to look at God and say no. Instead, you're going to look at him and say, yes, yes, Lord. And in Luke 3.18, we read that with these and many other words, John exhorted the people and preached good news to the people. We live in a world that says repentance is an ugly word. Sin is an ugly word. How dare your preacher tell you that you're a sinner who needs to change? Who has the right to tell another person that they're wrong? Jesus does. I don't. Jesus does. And by the authority of his scriptures, I want, to, I want you to see here, Jesus has made this clear. He's not dealing with mistakers. He can only deal with sinners, and that takes confession and honesty. But it is good news that repentance is available. It's not a curse. Repentance is not just go to your room and think about it. Repentance is drop your life of sin and return to the Father's love. It's a gift. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible that illustrates this better than I ever could. In Luke 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Now, you may be thinking, I know this story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, okay? And, uh, but I'm going to propose to you today that The story of Zacchaeus is probably the closest example we have in Scripture of an American Christian today. Zacchaeus was a successful businessman who lived a very comfortable life. He was a tax collector. And back in those days, that meant he was in bed with the Roman government, and he could charge people whatever taxes he felt like collecting. As long as Rome got the portion that they had demanded, whatever he collected above and beyond that was his to keep. And nobody could get at him. He was protected by their power. He was protected by authority, and he was protected by other sinners. He led a comfortable, successful life. And if he had never changed a thing, it's likely that that would have continued until the day he died. But one day, he hears about this rabbi coming to town. This unique teacher who was teaching a perspective that was convicting people of their sin, not their mistakes. So when he went to see this teacher, as he came into town, there was a massive crowd around him like there always was, and Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree, and the Bible says that he was a man of little stature, so he couldn't see him. He climbed up the tree, Jesus sees him, recognizes him, and says, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to your house today. No record in scripture that they had ever met before. So Jesus goes to his house, and they start to talk, and they're discussing the kingdom, And Zacchaeus is being convicted by the truth of Jesus Christ. And in Luke 19, 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the the Lord, Behold, Lord, here and now, decisive action, here and now, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have ever defrauded anyone out of anything, that is the understatement of the century, if I have ever been a cheat, I will pay it back four times the amount. Bold statements followed by bold action. Why four times the amount? He's confessing his sin. Because in the Old Testament law, if you had defrauded anybody of anything, 
you didn't just pay them back what you cheated them out of. You paid them back four times the amount. Notice this. He is going back to be restored by God, but what does he do? He goes back and saying, God, I should have been following your ways from the beginning. I'm going to start doing that now. He follows God's rules, even in punishment. This is what repentance looks like. It's not, I feel bad. It's, I want to feel different. I want to be different. And notice Jesus' response. He says, whoa, Zacchaeus, dude, chill. You're taking this way too seriously, all right? You know, I, I'm all, you know, I'm Jesus, man. That Old Testament stuff's old, past, and gone. You know, I'm peace, love, and good vibes. Just let me give you a hug, man, and you're fine. Relax. No, I mean, that's what culture would want us to say right now. I mean, hey, we just saw that, you know, if, if you don't sin, then I died for nothing, right? No, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this guy too, he is also a son of Abraham. Now, as the band comes up and we're going to be reaching a conclusion, I want to steer us clear of some dangerous territory. I want to uh, read a couple of verses from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 5, 31. God exalted him, meaning Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts eleven eighteen. they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, if I were to ask who gives us the forgiveness of sins, most of us would say Jesus and rightly so. But if I asked who gives us repentance, I think we would start to say, well, we do, but that's wrong. Jesus does. It's an opportunity that when we are in the presence of the king, do we get to respond with a yes, sir, or a no? And as much as you have been given the opportunity to be forgiven, you have also been given this opportunity to repent. If the early church, the churches that were being addressed in the book of Revelation, if they were given this command to repent, I don't think that the message of John's revelation has been diminished the slightest over the last 2,000 years. The command for us to repent is still present today. So today, some of us may be thinking, you know, I, I had a pretty good week. You know, I, I, I didn't do any of the big ones. This is what the world is trying to tell you. But in this place, the truth of God's word will always win out. So what is our evidence of repentance going to be today? We're not going to play games. We're going to call sin what it is, not a mistake. It's an act of defiance against the one true God. Break our hearts over sin and return to the God who restores your heart. And as easy as it was for us to grasp for forgiveness, we need to be just as eager to grasp for repentance. Now, I don't want you to find shame in the place. I feel like I've been hitting you with a hammer for 20 minutes. I want, here's the band-aids, okay? Find freedom. God is not up there keeping a record of your wrongs. He wants to free our hearts from the sin that is killing us. But it starts with admitting this simple truth. We are not mistakers. We are sinners. And the evidence of our repentance is that we will offer this gift to anyone who has sinned. This gift from God starts inside of us, and then it explodes outside of us. And it is God mending everything together. 
The day is coming when everyone is going to bow before Jesus Christ and do one of two things. Either we will declare that he is the God that he promised to be, and we have no regrets. Or we're going to see him coming and go, oh no. I listened to what the world said about him instead of listening to what he told me. God is calling us to repent and find life. Let's stand together and sing.